Welcome to Season 2 of The Century Plan, a podcast that looks at financial independence, how you achieve it and how you maintain it during a lifetime which may see people born today living to age 100. With me, Dennis Hall, Chartered Financial Planner and owner of Yellowtail Financial Planning. And me, Sarah Steele. I'm co-director at Yellowtail, but on the podcast I'm here to ask questions on behalf of you, the consumer. So Dennis, we've had a lot of discussions about risk this season, and there are many types of risk. But today we want to cover a very important subject, and that is the risk of not talking about money and what happens when you die, particularly if you were to die suddenly. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I, I know that might seem a morbid subject, but I've been rereading your book, Who Will It Hurt When I Die? Mm-hmm. And I know you'll say it needs updating. It does. <laughs> but there are some important lessons in there, and I think they're just as relevant today as when you wrote it, which was, I think, about 10 years ago. Not quite, but very nearly, okay. yes. Um, so the reason I wrote the book really was because I was just meeting lots of widows and uh, occasionally widowers, and they were really coming to me almost when it was too late. Yeah. You know, the things had happened and they were almost or very often in a place of fear and almost thinking that, they, you know, they didn't know which way to turn. Mm. Um, and it, there's a part of me that thought, well, somehow we need to get over this situation. Um, and my initial thought was that I would write a book that anyone could pick up on the day that their partner, their spouse had died and, mm. and have a sort of a blueprint of what to mm. do next. Um, but they very quickly put me right on that subject. Yeah. You know, as I, was, I, I mean, I've had the opportunity to go and talk to several of, of my clients who had been in that situation. And they said, well, I can see where you're coming from, Dennis. It's all very well and meaningful. But the last thing we wanted during a period of bereavement was to read a book about financial planning. Yeah. And they were right. Yeah. But the, I think the thing that gave me the most clarity is that what we really should have had were conversations with our significant other before they'd passed away. Mm. And so the, the, the scope of writing that book changed from an instruction manual to follow, you know, during bereavement period, post someone's death, into a series of anecdotes and yeah. conversations I'd had with widows and widowers about what the conversations they'd wished they'd had with their partners, their spouses, when they were alive. Yeah. Um, and it seems so logical when I say it like that. You know, yeah. why would I be writing a <laughs> do this book as opposed to a do this after the event when I really need to be writing a do this before the event? Yeah. Um, it's easier to deal with things before a crisis than during or after a crisis. Yeah. Okay. And we're going to go through some of those anecdotes, those stories, those case studies. Um, but before we do that, I suppose that you know anyone listening would think, well, what do I need to think about? What do I need to talk about? What should be in my mind when we're having this conversation? If if I was to die suddenly, what do I need to have in my mind in terms of how my dependents would live? Well, I think you know everyone wants to make sure that there is enough money to meet the basic needs. We're not talking luxuries here, but you know. Um, if the house isn't paid for, how is it going to be paid for? Yeah. Um, how am I going to p- 
put food on the table. Yeah. Um, you know, I might not be working. Uh, what's going to happen to our pensions if there are pensions? What's going to happen to our savings and investments? Do I even understand where everything is? Um, where do I go to access money quickly? Mm. What if our accounts are not in joint names? Um, you know, where do we keep the file? Yeah. Where is everything? Who do I contact when you know when something goes wrong? Is there a central repository with all of this information? And in fact, we we had this conversation with um, David. With, with David yeah. Jones in a previous podcast where yeah. they were actually had those conversations as a couple and were beginning to introduce their children to these conversations. Here's what happens if something would happen to one or both of us. Yeah. Um, because we do, we, we, we will find ourselves leaning on, on family and friends. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, although things have changed, it is often the case that one, one part of the couple tends to have responsibility at the financial side of things. It's not always the case, but that certainly in your experience that happens. But it was well. It was very clearly a generational thing yeah. at one point. I mean, I can remember when wives didn't have their own tax allowances. You know, they they were always treated as part of their husband financially. Yeah. And in a way that maybe that's why it it happened that way. But as people have been become more independent about their finances, mm. even when they're they're married, um, still I find that that one part of the you know one side of the relationship really relishes that and yeah. another one doesn't so yeah. very often those responsibilities again they 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 kind of fall into the hands of one person definitely i mean i we i know lots of people where it's it's the wife or the you know the female of the partnership that that does balances it. the books yeah. yeah exactly and 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 so the husband you know thinks well i, I can leave that all up to her yeah. and I don't have to think about it and but... then sometimes the husbands get a bit geeky with their investments yeah. and um you know their wives yeah yeah <laughs> but and um anyway. it's not helping no actually when things go wrong it doesn't help no and and what I wanted to ask is if you I think in your book there's an example of someone who you've advised whose partner hadn't considered any of those things um, and unfortunately, he died suddenly. Can you tell me a bit more about what happened to them? This was an incredibly sad... Um, well, they're all sad stories, but this mm. one was particularly um, sad. I was in the office one Saturday. I don't normally work on a Saturday, but the phone rang. And this distraught woman um, was on the phone sort of saying, I can't afford advice, but I've got a problem. Um, I'm trying to access a pension that my husband my dead husband had had and I'm going round and round and round and I'm under immense pressure I've got mm. school fees to pay I don't have any income coming in so I have to go out to work and try and earn something um, and this pressure had been building and building and building over several months I think mm. she'd been threatened by the by the school the headmaster's school that you know you're going to have to take your daughter out because you've been saying you're going to pay the fees and you're not yeah. and 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 so she said, so um, I've been phoning advisors. You're the only one who's in. Um, and I'm not normally in on a Saturday. And uh, and I said, well, I, I mean, tell me what, I, you know, tell me what you're looking for. And very quickly I said, well, I think really you do need to take some advice. You need someone to get this done for you yeah. because you've been trying to work this on your own for six months and not yeah. getting anywhere. Whereas this is the kind of work that 
we, financial advisors, financial planners do. Yeah. We know our way around the system. We can get this done for you very quickly. And we said, but I can't afford your fees. Mm. I said, well, don't worry about the fees at this stage. Yeah. This isn't about fees. You know, yeah. your heart goes out to somebody at that of stage. Course. This is about yeah. the getting something done. Yeah. Um, and I said, so look, if you are adamant you don't want to come and see me, yeah. here are some things I think you should just try based on what you've said. And I just gave her a list of things to do. Yeah. And I said, but really, look, call back. Because I think you're going to run into the same problem. Yeah. Just call back. Don't stress about what it's going to cost because I can get you where you want to be yeah. a little bit quicker. And, you know, a couple of Saturdays went by and there was another call. Fortunately, yeah. she called back and yeah. she said, I've been thinking about this. I have not got any further and I just need help. And, the, you know, the, the demands and the letters are coming in more yeah. and more and more and I can't cope. So what had happened to, what had happened to the family? Well, the, the thing is... Um, this was a young family. Uh, he was earning reasonably well, sufficiently to be able to put their daughter through, you know, through private education, mm. you know, uh, through a day school. Um, and it, it was allowing uh, the spouse to, to, to try and follow her. She, you know, she was, she was sort of a graphic designer, but that yeah. doesn't pay very well, but it allowed her to do that, to keep yes. herself and her interest going. Um, and... She was telling me as we were as we were talking that you know he was good he was in great health he went out to work one day as normal, and she realised something was wrong when two policemen turned up at the door and said your husband's in hospital please come with us, mm. um, and he had just got terribly terribly ill, incredibly quickly yeah um, to the point where he he kind of survived probably about forty eight hours after that right. I mean huge shock you come mm. back from that what you're going to do. Um, at that point, she had no idea where the next paycheck was coming from. Mm. She certainly didn't earn enough. Um, it, you know, she didn't earn enough to put food on the table. Right. There's this complicated situation about trying to claim state benefits. You know, however simple the the system thinks it is, it's not. Right. Um, particularly with somebody who is in the middle of grief, which just mm, turns your mind into mush. Paralyzes you. Yeah. yeah. Um, but as she was, you know, over that sort of six months, she'd been trying to deal with things herself. She'd been going through papers. Mm. She'd found that he'd got this self-invested personal pension that he'd been managing with some funds in there. Yeah. But nobody was managing it at that point any further. She also found a completed application form for life assurance right. that he had been filling in but hadn't posted. Oh, no. And if he, yeah. if he had maybe there would have been some life cover in place and that might have taken away a lot of the problems. Yeah. But so that's the, you know, that was the kind of the situation that, that we had. And for me, it, she found it incredibly difficult to access this self-invested personal pension. Mm. It's this, you know, the, the system, the terminology, the company, which was a, a company that worked essentially with advisors. It's not used to dealing with consumers, mm. certainly not used to yeah. dealing with consumers, widows. Um, so we, we, we dealt with that. We got that sorted out. We were unable to get some payments out to her. Yeah. It was not going to be enough to support her for the rest of her life, but it would take the immediate problems away right. and to, to lift some of the immediate pressures that she had so she could begin to concentrate on other things. But again, one of the things that she told me was that she hadn't really, for six months, she hadn't been able to grieve. Mm. In fact, if anything, she was angry. She was angry at him and she was angry at everybody around her. You know, you'd go to the school gates and there are people 
having perfectly normal lives. And she's saying, look at you having perfectly normal lives yeah. and I'm dying inside yeah. and I can't show this. Yeah, because I not get on with stuff. Yeah, and if you are able to grieve properly without, I suppose, all of these additional pressures, maybe, maybe that process happens quicker. Yeah. But actually she'd had to delay it by mm. several months. And so do you think the fact that they'd not had that conversation that we're talking about is the reason for all of the pressures that she you know, experienced. I think if they'd had a conversation about life assurance and how much they would have probably got the form signed and sent yeah. off yeah. beforehand, she would have known who to go to yeah. to deal with the SIP. Um, she might have known you know, where everything else was. Was there any death in service anywhere? She had to start from scratch, yeah. Basically, at a time when you're really not feeling like doing that, yeah. And it's not her, it's not her daily language. Money yeah. was not the daily language that she used. You no. know, financial terms. Okay, so that's the risk of not talking about your finances between the partnership. But what about the risk of not making a will? I mean, there's a there's a sort of scary statistic about one in three people over the age of fifty don't have a will. Um, and, you know, there'll be a lot of people out there who think, I'll get around to doing it. But tell me about the couple where the husband just absolutely refused to make a will. And I find it interesting because I don't think he's alone in thinking that his business is his pension. Uh, uh, yeah, there? a lot of people think that, you know, as a self-made man. They weren't, look, to be clear, they, weren't, they were not clients of mine. These were people I knew from my local. I was living in central London. Right. They lived in central New And I got very friendly with them over a period of years. Um, and he'd been, he got diagnosed with cancer. Okay. You know, so there were, you know, there were several months that, that he had left to live. It was quite aggressive. Um, and, you know, without wanting to, I suppose, overstep the mark, I kind of took him aside and I said, look, you know, I hope everything's sorted out. If you need any help, let me know. But one of the things you need to do is get a will in place, mm. you know, because of, 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 of your, your wife, Elsa, there. Yeah. Um, and this was his second wife. This was his second wife. Yeah. And he was kind of adamant. Um, there's, uh, you know, I find a lot of people somehow don't want, I'm going to use the word the state. They don't want the state involved. They don't want lawyers. They don't want anything. This is kind of, you know, he, had a, he thought he had really good connection with his son who, mm. who he'd put in place to take over his business. He had a business. Um, and he would, you know, he'd transferred assets to his son's name that uh, he was still drawing an income from the business yeah. as the founder yeah but the son was there running it he was kind of retired and he was saying but my don't worry my my son will look after Elsa my wife when, yeah. when I'm passed make sure she has a place to live because actually the house wasn't in his name either right um and I'm saying well this all <laughs> this all looks a little bit um precarious yeah. yeah you know uh, that I think there needs to be a little bit more solidity here. But, yeah, and but you, he was, you also felt you you sort of seen the relationship. I think a bit between the Elsa and the stepchildren. It wasn't as strong as I, as as he thought. Yeah, you know, I I, I, I and I felt an, the thing about being an advisor for for for, for a few decades is mm. you've come across some of these things before, and you've certainly heard stories. And I felt that she was in a very precarious situation. And I knew he wouldn't want her to be in a precarious situation. But 
he just couldn't see it. No. He had absolute faith in the family to look after his second wife. And what happened? Well, he died. Mm. And it really all started to fall apart at the funeral, but which I was asked to give a reading. So I'm standing there and I'm in an odd way. I'm trying to make the message sound. Let's all come together and look after each other. There's yeah. a widow here. But I could just see the room dividing. Right. And Gosh. she lost the house. She was no longer paid. And there was no income coming in to her. It stopped going. Um, she very quickly had to find somewhere to rent. She wasn't qualified to do anything really. She, you know, and at an age where she had to go cleaning. Oh gosh! Okay. Just you know, just yeah, you know, do, do on cleaning work. Yeah. You know, uh, to to find enough money to pay the rent. Okay. And again, what had been a, an incredibly happy relationship mm. when things were going well, and she was hugely supportive during his cancer period. Mm. Got to a point of of anger. Yeah. Not with just the family, but with him for not looking out for her yeah. when he could have so easily done it yeah. by getting a will in place. Yeah. Making sure that what she thought she could rely on yeah. was going to be there. And, and it didn't happen. Very strong lesson. <laughs> really but important. Get a will in place. Yeah. Make yeah. sure you... Money, unfortunately, does strange things to people. Yes, We've been talking does. about this yeah. in, our, in our podcast. It's like... It alters our personality sometimes. It becomes a part of us. And if, in this case, the son saw that what he thought was rightfully his was going to be taken away or split, moved out, I don't think he ever really supported that, that, that marriage to, to, no. to, to Elsa. No, and it all came to light when it was too late. Incredibly quickly. Yeah. All right. Well, moving on from that one and talking about investments, we've we've already mentioned that sort of cycle of fear and embarrassment and that that feeling of fear and and nervousness about approaching someone about something you know nothing about. Uh, And in many couples, if one partner makes all the investment decisions whilst the other partner takes the back seat, that's that tends to be what happens. Um, And then the problems arise if the decision maker dies unexpectedly suddenly. How does the partner deal with the investments that up until now they're relatively in the dark about? Um, well, I was going to say I was going to almost flip and difficult. It's difficult. Yeah. But how does it manifest itself? Well, there are, there were a couple of sort of uh, situations that I got involved in. Mm. Um, one was, um, I suppose. She'd always left the financial decisions to her husband, and then he unfortunately died very quickly right. in a, a motor accident. So it's like instantaneous. Yeah. And they were okay financially. Mm. You know, they were on the verge of retirement, that kind of age. They had enough money behind them. But she had never been involved in the financial decisions, the investment decisions. She didn't want to be involved to be fair, um, but then she had to be, and she wanted to be, and what she had was a lot of uncertainty about what was going on. Am I going to be okay? That Those mm. fundamental questions, am I going to be okay? Mm. You know, he said we were going to be okay, but now he's not here, so how do I know? 
and you know, and, and on the basis of Warsaw, I'm going to be losing some of the pensions that we expected to receive. So I'm not going to. We're not going to get his state pension. We're not going to get half of his um, sort of uh, occupational pension. So we're, I'm going to be relying on 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 the savings and investments. And she would go to the uh, investment manager, I suppose, in in old terms, sort of the stockbroker, uh, the whole wealth manager, whoever it was that they're dealing with, and and kind of just asking for clarity. Yeah. And she wasn't getting clarity. What she was getting was condensation. Uh, con- condensation? Condescension. Yes. Condensation. Goodness me. <laughs> what, um, <laughs> what she was getting. <laughs> but, right, yeah, yeah. Well, water on the brain. Yeah. Um, what she was getting were people saying, well, look, don't worry about this. Almost that little lady conversation. Don't worry about yeah. this little lady. We've yeah. got this all in hand. Yes. You know, we've been talking. Mm-hmm. You know, that. We've been talking. And uh, this is what, you know, your husband would have wanted, this is what he would have said, and she getting, you know, with each meeting getting angry and angry, saying, but he's not here, I am, Mm. tell me, because I don't feel confident and I need to understand. And she was putting in touch with me because she was just voicing these concerns to friends and they said, we're going to speak to Dennis. And I said, well, from what, you know, from what I can see from, things are going to be okay, but not, no one's showing you how or why. And we had just, just an open conversation, I think, you know, mm. where you have some compassion and try to simplify things, not complicate them. Yeah. And she said, I like this conversation and I like the way we're talking because I'm, I'm beginning to feel waves of stress falling away. Mm. I want to move all my money to you yeah. to be looked after by you because I think you're going to help me understand what's happening. And, and, and you know, she's been a client for almost 20 years now yeah but what a shame that that couldn't have happened before her husband died so you shouldn't have to go through those sort of frustrating months or years or however long it was being patronized exactly it should have happened beforehand yeah because actually there is a cost involved with moving money from one place to another and, and undoing i mean really you would want some wouldn't you want some continuity yeah i think if i was the person that had been running something, I'd want to think that somebody understood what I was doing, but there would be some continuity and they would be able to work with, you know, the surviving partner, surviving spouse to make sure that all those best laid plans were not undone mm. as they would, as they had been in another case that I dealt with. Oh, right. And this, this other case, again, hugely sad. Her husband had died some years earlier so she was a widow with with grown-up sons in their sort of 20s one of them was hugely successful and he died suddenly and he hadn't left a will and the rules were that as the parent surviving parent because he wasn't married she inherited she inherited a property portfolio in central london i mean he was hugely successful Mm. property portfolio and a and a, a huge chunk of investments but she hadn't a relationship with anybody. He was, you know, he'd worked in the city, so he didn't have advisors around him. Um, uh, he was expected to, to to live for probably another sixty years. Yeah. Um, so she didn't know who to turn to, and she took someone's recommendation to go and see an advisor, um, who. Well, the first advisor told her to sell all the London properties just at the bottom of the market, just before the London property market went sky high. Um, So huge loss of potential there. 
and told her to invest in in things that she didn't really understand, mm-hmm. you know, equities basically, mm-hmm. and to, but also to take the existing equities that he had built up and just put them into a into an insurance linked investment bond that the advisor would just make fun switches from time to time but she didn't really know what was going on didn't understand what was going on i looked at it quite highly charged um and i'm wondering why she you know why all the chopping and changing all the time yeah um she was spending an incredible amount of money I have to say. And I think part of that was driven through grief. We were talking a portfolio of a few million pounds and somebody might have said, well, you can take 10% of that a year. Someone might have said, yeah, I think 10% is doable. She saw that as a figure and started drawing out 10%. When I saw her, I said, if you keep spending at that rate, you have got about three years worth of spending left. Gosh, that would be shocking. Huge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I and I, I, I and I had a fight with her for years and years and years to bring the spending down, you know, by trying to educate and prove and say, look, we've got to do this. And eventually, you know, we, we brought the spending down um, quite considerably. Um, I don't want to throw the figures out there. They're frightening. Mm. Um, but eventually she had to downsize from the property which was going to be a good thing anyway going from a sort of a three-bed house in in london to a small two-bed apartment which is much more easier to manage that released some capital but again the the old demons came in and she saw that as a almost a a, an ability to start spending a bit more again and i'm saying you can't do that eventually we we didn't fall out but she said dennis you're not letting me spend what i want to spend Mm. and i found another advisor who will Um, (laughs) which i thought was hugely um sad really yeah Uh, yeah it is maybe she ran out of money then she may have done she may have done yeah i I don't know yeah um her other son came back to me a few years later and said i'm ready for some financial advice i really enjoyed all the work you were doing for my mother um but uh but but i could see how how it was was not going to work for you both yeah (laughs) Yeah, but again, if they'd had that kind of conversation prior to his death, to her husband's death... um, I think, yeah, I think if there'd been a bit more conversation and and knowledge about... And education. Yeah, how much... What is a sustainable rate of spending from Mm. a portfolio? Yeah. Drawing down at 10% a year. Yeah. In a time when... And then, not only that, being churned from one investment product to another. So you're losing you know, 5% on the churn each time, yeah. you know, because of these commission-hungry... back. Th- we're talking back then when commission was a thing. Yeah. Commission-hungry salespeople, you know, thank goodness we've got rid of virtually all of that type of financial advisor out of, out of, out of what we do. Yeah. But she was losing money hand over fist in charges, losing money hand over fist through poor investment advice, and then spending money hand over fist. It was not sustainable. No. And if there'd been some form of honest conversation over a period of years, someone can get their head around that, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, she'd been in the dark for too long and it was too late. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay, so I think um, that's some really good case studies there for us to think about. Um, But going back to the book, in in the foreword, Dr. Maria Nemeth, who we've mentioned before. I like Dr. Maria Nemeth. Tell us about her again. So she was... um, 
well, from uh, UCLA, so California, you know, um, she's PhD in (laughs) clinical psychology and all of those things, um, but very interested in money, having essentially lost her family's money, Um, written a couple of good books about the energy of money and how this, uh, and and has been on the Oprah Winfrey show and does a lot of work and coaching around people and money. Um, And I uh, I had, I've spent probably several weeks in her company on on courses just learning about money learning a bit about me my own responses to money yeah and and in a way as an advisor how to take my blinkers off yeah when i'm talking to other people about their money so i can see it try and see it from their perspective as opposed to just seeing it through mine yeah. these are good coaching skills that she yeah been, that's been i think able to we did me. a podcast on that we, we might I mean, have looking done. back to one i think it's called vulnerability yeah um yeah but, but anyway um Dr. Maria Nemeth was very complimentary about your book, and but she talks about the skills a financial advisor needs over and above the obvious technical ones to give clients the confidence to talk about this subject. And it, you know, it's generally got, regarded as too intimate, a bit taboo. So can you sum up now, after everything we've been saying, how important it is that part of your discussion when you're working with your financial planner is about what happens if you die? I think it's a subject that we shouldn't shy away from, and a lot of people do. There is an embarrassment about it, but it's inevitable. It's going to happen to all of us. And yeah. so we need somebody with the the maturity and the confidence to begin to open up those conversations, as difficult as they are. And in fact, the confidence and maturity to talk to people who might already be in a situation where they have a terminal illness. Yeah. Someone's got to address that topic in a way that allows um, meaningful conversations to be had that don't become too emotional. It's impossible to keep emotion out of these conversations. But mm-hmm. but we need to get some clarity. What we're trying to do is ease the flow, and ease you know of 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 of, of what happens of, of money and the assets. So there's got to be that emotional maturity. Yeah. If, if we assume that, that all advisors have got the technical capacity, they have to, mm. they pass exams, mm. what other skills should they be working on? And these mm. are the kind of things I've been doing with people like Maria Nemeth and George Kinder, and I've, you know, I've gone to work with therapists just on my own account. I said it earlier, I think they also need to take away their own blinkers. Yeah. You know, we all wear glasses, we see things through our own eyes, and there are skills that we use that we've got to take that away and just begin to see how other people are seeing the world. And then use our emotional intelligence to work with them, to help them get past their blind spots. We all have them, I have them. To help them get past their blind spots or, or things that they find difficult or conversations they find really difficult to have. And to do it all compassionately. Yeah, I think two many people get hung up on the technicalities of what we do and kind of just approach conversations from a technical perspective. And if it was that easy, everybody would just go online and just get a, a spreadsheet, put the mm. numbers in and get it done. Mm. And it isn't. We are emotionally attached to our money, the people around us, the status or not that it brings. And somebody needs to be able to talk around that and to help people get over the inevitable humps that they will have. 
Okay. Have I summarised it? I could go on forever about this, and and we don't, we haven't got time. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. That's great. Thank you, Dennis.